Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. What does it look like for you to be a family member? I wonder what, what that looks like for you. What is, it, what is it like in your own home? The, what about the home you grew up in? What about as a child versus an adult? What is it for you to be a family member? That's something to, to reflect on today. Now I want to ask us, what, what about a member of God's family? That's a question I want us to, to think about as we go through our, our text today. What does it look like to be a part of God's family? Growing up, I had a, a friend who was adopted. And I didn't know much about his story at the time, but I knew his mom wasn't his biological mom. Uh, I knew he had siblings that weren't his biological siblings. But that wasn't something that we really talked about very often. So I didn't really know any of the details. I found out a little bit more, though, uh, on the day that he got married. So on his wedding day, um, Melissa and I were, were both there. At the, at the reception, his mom had a speech. And uh, in her speech, she told about how she and my friend got introduced in life. And I'm not a really emotional person. That's not a brag. I'm, I'm just not. Um, it's not, not even anything to brag about anyway. But uh, I'm not that emotional. I don't cry uh, a lot. And I don't cry really at weddings or really anytime. Um, but I got emotional here. I got emotional hearing her words here. And this is kind of what got me. So she told me about the day she had adopted him. Um, it was a regular day for her. She was at home. She was a single uh, stay-at-home mother. And she heard the, the doorbell ring. She went outside to see what it was. And there was a baby lying right outside her, her uh, door on, on the doorstep. So someone had literally just left uh, their baby outside her house, and they left. And this was my friend. And so she brought him in, and she took care of all the, the legal stuff that had to be done, and she raised him as her son. And I don't know about that, but there, there was something about that that just really gripped me that someone couldn't care for this baby or maybe didn't want to or whatever the situation was, but that someone else was willing to care for him, no questions asked, at their inconvenience. Uh, this woman literally rescued this baby, and that to me showed a different kind of love, a, a real unique type of love that I hadn't really thought about up until then. And so that was something that really impacted me hearing about the story of his adoption. Today we have the, the privilege of talking about adoption into God's family. We get to explore the great love with which he loved us. And so we're going to be talking about our relationship with God the Father. We're also going to be talking about our relationship with, excuse me, we're going to be talking about our relationship with the church as family. And I'm excited that you are here for this message today. 
Over the next few weeks, what we're doing is we're going to be walking through a series called Disciple. And if, in this series, what we're doing is we're exploring uh, different qualities or identities that all disciples of Jesus should possess. So we began this series last week as we walked through the identity of being a worshiper. All right, if you recall, being a worshiper has to do with delighting in God. It has to do with delighting in his will has to do with delighting in communion with God. And so things like obedience and prayer and joy, they all have to do with a heart of worship. For the rest of this series, we're going to be exploring areas, uh, other areas like being a good uh, steward, a servant, a witness, and a student uh, for God. And again, today we're going to be looking at the idea of being a member of God's family. Our, our hope in this series as well is that we would bring this language into our discipleship groups here at Renaissance. And so we are continuing to, to challenge ourselves and one another to grow more into these identities, being a worshiper, being a, a family member, a steward, a servant, a witness, and a student. And so as we go through this series, I would encourage you all to think, what are some ways that I can grow as a family member or, or how could I be a better steward, or whatever it is. We all have shortcomings in all of these areas, but our aim in all of this is to see how, by the grace of God, we can be more like Christ in each of these areas and grow together as disciples of Jesus. Let's get into our topic for today. Today we're talking about family members, being a family member, uh, part of God's family. Let me ask you uh, this question to be in. Why do we, why do we say family member? Why are we using the, the term family member to refer to the church? Simply put, because the Bible does, right? When, when referring to scripture over, or sorry, when referring to the, the church over and over, scripture uses the language of being a part of a family. The term uh, brother or sister, they appear over 300 times in the New Testament. The majority of the time, it is in reference to the church rather than actual blood-related brothers or sisters. Jesus makes this distinction himself in the Gospel of John. It says this in Matthew 12, or sorry, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. So yeah, Matthew 12 says this. It says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and mother. Okay, so this language of being a part of a family is embedded throughout Scripture. And as members of the church... We should see ourselves as members of a family. And we're going to explore what this means throughout the rest of our time today. First thing I want us to see is this. Members of God's family have a relationship with the Father. Members of God's family have a relationship with the Father. I wonder what you think of when you think of God the Father. Now, I think sometimes we have this view that God is just this impersonal force up there waiting for us to mess up his commands. 
Right? If you're like me, you sometimes find it hard to go to God because you don't always see him as kind or caring or involved. I want to tell you today that is that couldn't be farther from the truth. Let's take a look at what scripture says. First, uh, let me read for, for us from 2 Corinthians 6. In it, what we see is Paul describing the unique relationship that God has with his people. So this describes God's relationship with his people. It says this. It says, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Okay? So again, being a family member means you have a relationship with God the Father. This is a relationship that we receive through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, Paul says this. He says, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So followers of Jesus are adopted into the family of God. And this means we have the privilege of having a relationship with God the Father. This may seem obvious to us. Of course, we have a relationship with God. Of course, we have a good relationship with God. However, we should be careful not to make assumptions. We should not just assume a relationship with God. In fact, our journey does not begin with God as our Father. Like the story I shared at the beginning, we have been adopted. And that being said, if we've been adopted, then at one time we were not a part of God's family. That's not where our story began. The Bible describes our relationship with God before faith in Christ is that we were enemies with God, that our sin put us at odds with God. We were, our sla- we were slaves to our sin, and we were in need of a Savior. And yet the Gospel of John tells us that to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So let's explore a little bit about what it means to be children of God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to spend a little bit of time here. Romans chapter 8. As, as we read this, I want us to see two things here. Two, two realities that I want us to see about being adopted children of God. Number one, as children of God, we are no longer slaves to sin. As children of God, we are no longer slaves to sin. And number two, as children of God, we are heirs with Christ. So as children of God, we are no longer slaves to sin. And as children of God, we are heirs with Christ. Let's read what it says. This is Romans 8, and we're going to begin in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay? 
again here, the first thing that we see is that as children of God, we are no longer slaves to sin. I find that kind of a, a weird point for, for that conversation to begin. Adoption and being slaves to sin, these don't seem like they would go hand in hand, but this is what we see from Scripture. This is Paul wants to see. Paul wants us to see in relation to adoption into God's family. Look at verse 15 again. He says, you do not receive the spirit of slavery, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Church, this is, tells us so much about our relationship with God. When God adopts us and we become a part of his family, he puts us out of slavery to sin. He pulls us out of slavery to sin. He takes us out of unhealthy relationship where we walk by our own selfish ways and we can now begin a real life walking in the ways of God. He takes us away from self-reliance and he brings us into a relationship with reliance on God. It says he does so by giving you his spirit. This is the spirit of adoption. This is not like the spirit of slavery. In other words, you don't have to work tirelessly to, tirelessly to appease God. You're not stuck trying to get out of the mess that sin has left you in. You don't have to keep going back to your sin. You are not slaves anymore. You are children of God. Therefore, we don't have to live like slaves, not according to the flesh, as it says in verse 12, but by God's spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body, the sin that lives in us. And we cry out, Abba, Father, because we have a Father who cares for us, and we don't have to fight our sin alone. If you're here and you are tired of working to try to appease God, if you are sick of falling into the same sinful patterns, you can cry out to God as your father. He will adopt you as a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and he promises to give you a new spirit, not a spirit of slavery, not one where we are stuck in our old ways or we have to work our way up to God. He has taken that away. But he's given us a spirit of adoption, and you become a child of God with a privilege of having a loving father. So as children of God, we are no longer slaves to sin. Next, we see that as children of God, we are heirs with Christ. Verse 17, it says, and if we are children of God, then we are heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Let's pause there just for a minute. What does it mean to be an heir? It means you will receive an inheritance, right? It says we are fellow heirs with Christ. That means we receive what Christ receives. What does Christ receive? Everything, right? The whole world. We receive delight from God the Father for what Jesus has done. Everything that Jesus has the right to, we will as well in eternity in a perfect world with God. This is our inheritance as children of God. And this isn't just a future reality. While there are some things, aspects of it that we will uh, definitely see in the future. This is also a present reality. We have access to the Father as the Son does. We are seen the same way as the Son is. That doesn't make any sense, right? We have no right to the things of God. We have no right to be seen as Jesus. Yet this is the Father's love for you. 
through faith in Jesus, God the Father looks at you the same way he sees Jesus. And that makes no sense, but it is true. Think about what that means. God treats us like his very own son, Jesus Christ. That is good news. And so our relationship with God the Father means that we have been redeemed from our sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. And it also means that we are heirs with Christ. We will receive eternal life with God in a perfect world for us to enjoy together with one another and with Christ. So this is who the Father is. And this is who members of God's family have a relationship with. So we see that members of God's family have a relationship with the Father. Next, we see that members of God's family have a relationship with one another. This refers to your relationship with the church. So upon putting your faith in Jesus as your Savior, you then have a distinct privilege of being adopted into a new family, into God's family. God's family consists of other followers of Christ, both locally and globally, but there's a particular way that we relate to Christians by being a part of a local church. There are many passages in the Bible about how Christians should have a relationship with, with one another. Many of the commands, they use this phrase, one another, to show how we ought to treat each other. So I want to explore some of these today. Right? There are 59 one another's in the New Testament. We're going to go through every single one. No, we're not. We, we can't get into all of them, obviously. But I do want to point out some so that we can see how God has designed us to be in relationship with one another. Here are just a few. The book of James tells us to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. First Thessalonians tells us to encourage one another Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Ephesians tells us to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And let me point out, it is a delight to see this in this church. I was encouraged this week as a few people said that they were praying for Skylar when she sprained her ankle some members of this church regularly meet at an accountability group where we confess our sins to one another and seek to repent. Someone from this church this week spoke words of encouragement to me during a meeting that I was in. There are, uh, there's a group of women who meet bi-weekly to teach one another from the book of Genesis. And it is a joy to hear all your lovely voices every Sunday as we gather to worship and praise God. There are also difficult things that we are called to do for one another. First Peter says to be humble toward one another. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. It says, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Galatians tells us to bear one, another, one another's burdens. And Colossians tells us to forgive one another as Christ forgave you. This means that while the church is God's people, we are still a broken people in the process of being redeemed. We, we will still sin against one another. We will hurt one another. 
We will have burdens that we put on one another. And yet God calls us in all of this to forgive, to show humility, and to bear with one another. This is what it is to be a disciple of Jesus because Jesus has done all of this for you. There's one command, though, one specific one another that gets mentioned more than all of the rest, and that is this. We are to love one another. No less than 14 times in the New Testament, Christians are called to love one another. Here is just one example. You can follow me to, to John chapter 13. This is Jesus talking to his disciples at the last meal that he would eat with them. This is right before he's about to be, be betrayed and left by all of his disciples. And this is what he says to them. He says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus says, all people will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. That's how people will recognize that we follow Christ. Isn't that interesting? They're not going to know that we're his disciples if we're nice people. Not if we know a lot about the Bible. Not if we go to church. Not if we open our homes to non-believers. These are wonderful things, but they're not how others will recognize Christ in us. The way that they will is that we have love for one another. And not just any kind of love. We are to love one another with the same love with which Christ loved us. Again, This is moments before the disciples would all leave him and Jesus would die all alone on the cross for our sins. And so what does that mean? It means the type of love with which we love one another is sacrificial. It is not based on what others do to us. Christ-like love is not based on what others deserve. If it were, none of us would receive it. It is not based on whether I feel like it right now. It is a missional love for God so loved us that he sent his only son. It reaches out into the darkness to care for the broken in the church. It pursues the lonely and it encourages those in despair, forgives when transgressed. It is slow to anger because all of this is how Christ has loved us. Today, I wanna, uh, what we're going to be doing after the service is that we're having a, a member's orientation where those who are interested can learn more about what it is to be a part of God's family, the church. If you are not yet a member, we would love to, to have you join us for that so we can come alongside of you in your journey knowing more about the Father and his children here at Renaissance. We want to, to know about how you became a disciple of Jesus. And when you become a member of this family, well, we want to walk with you in the one another's. We want to welcome you. We want to encourage you. We want to pray for you. We want to teach you, sing with you. And when we sin against you, not if, but when, we want to seek your forgiveness. We don't commit this to you if you do it back. We commit this to you because Jesus has loved us and we are disciples of his. Because God loved us first, we love. As we wrap up, let me ask you this. What does it look like for you to be a member of God's family? What's your relationship look like with the Father? What is it like 
with the church, God's people. Have you put your faith in Jesus yet? If so, you have received his spirit, not one of slavery, but one of adoption. God has given you his spirit, so you are no longer a slave to sin. This is what a good and loving father has done for you, his child. And there is an inheritance waiting you in heaven. The riches of the perfect world where God dwells, where peace exists, where the church is made new, is yours because of the goodness of God the Father. And so in light of God's goodness, we live to show love to one another, to confess our sins to one another, to encourage one another, to forgive one another, all of the one another's. And we do this because God loved us first. I want to close by sharing uh, another story with you. So I read uh, this parable this week. Uh, it was by a, a, a philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. I'm no philosophy scholar, um, but I read this in an essay this week, and I found it really fascinating. So I want to uh, read a little bit for uh, us today. It goes on a little bit long, so I've kind of paraphrased it for us. Um, but this is what it's about. So the, the, the story is about a, a day laborer, he's called, like a, a worker, I guess. And he lives in this great kingdom. The, this day laborer, he couldn't fathom that the emperor knew anything of him, let alone that he even knew he existed. He would feel honored if he was even ever to see the emperor once in his life. It would be something that he would share with his children and his grandchildren as the most important event in his life. Okay? Now, what if the emperor sends for him and tells him he wants him to become his son-in-law? What would happen then? Well, most likely, the day laborer would become confused. He'd become self-conscious and embarrassed by it. He would find it to be rather strange. Perhaps the emperor wants to make a fool of him. He wants to make him a laughingstock of the whole kingdom. The day laborer, he recognizes the exalted state of the emperor. He recognizes the privilege it would just be to be in his presence once. And then he would get to keep his identity, his job, his family, his comfort. And yet, when drawn into an intimate relationship with the emperor, it makes him feel uncomfortable. He has to give up too much. He's called to something much higher than he thinks that he's even worthy of. He would rather a letter from the emperor or a short little visit. And that the emperor has asked for his whole life, his whole identity. It's an author who writes this about it. He says, and so it is with God the king. Adoption by the king is such a radical notion that we resist it. We would rather have the occasional brush of God's presence or a relic of his solidarity with us so that God can be an appendage of our identity. But God wants more than that. God wants our lives. God wants us to bear his name. By bringing us into the new reality of the Spirit, we can call out to God, Abba, Father, as adopted children united to Christ. Yet there are few things more countercultural than this process of adoption, of losing your life for the sake of Jesus Christ, only to find it in communion with the triune God. Read what Kierkegaard has to say as well. He says, and now for Christianity. Christianity teaches that this particular individual, and so every individual, whatever in 
other respects this individual may be, man, woman, serving maid, minister of state, state uh, merchant, barber, student, etc. This individual exists before God. This individual who perhaps would be vain for having once in his life talked with the king, this man who is not a little proud of living on intimate terms with that person or the other, this man exists before God, can talk with God any moment he will, be sure to be heard by him. In short, this man is invited to live on the most intimate terms with God. Furthermore, for this man's sake, God came to the world, let himself be born, suffers, and dies, and this suffering God almost begs and entreats this man to accept the help which is offered. And so as adopted children of God, we have the unique privilege of intimately knowing the king, being invited into his kingdom where we are no longer slaves to our sin. We are heirs with Christ of the treasures of God, uh, God's kingdom for eternity. And we get to live life with the king alongside fellow heirs of the kingdom, our spiritual brothers and sisters, the church. So would we love one another as Christ has loved us? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.